so this passage in John chapter 15 is actually a very familiar uh, passage. And uh, it, is, it is a passage that talks about Jesus, who describes himself as a true vine and as us, as, as his disciples, as Christians, being the branches. Um, oftentimes, this passage, uh, and I've excerpted uh, a bit here on the slide here, verses 1 through 2 and verse 5, um, that oftentimes when we look at these verses, there's this focus on this idea of God the Father as a gardener. That the Father, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. The reason why many people focus on these uh, verses is that it highlights this idea that uh, certain branches are cut off and thrown away. And in verse 6, it talks about these branches being thrown into the fire and burned. So some people look at this and say, well, the focus here is clearly on salvation and those who are saved and those who are not, those who are condemned. Uh, and definitely there's, there is in this passage this idea of God's judgment. But I think that is only a small portion of what this passage is about because there's actually two branches you could see talked about here, two types of branches, that is. Both are actually cut. One is cut off entirely, the other is pruned. One is more severe, it's amputated, it's cut off and thrown away, it's discarded, burned in fire. The other is more strategic, it's more a cleansing, a trimming, a cutting away of smaller twigs and outgrowths. But the purpose of both is the same. That is, the pruning and the cutting of way is so that the plant may flourish. Now, I was reading this passage, and uh, it, uh, this passage actually came uh, uh, to life, uh, came um, to, home to me uh, very recently. Um, two years ago, when I went back to L.A., um, uh, shortly after my, my father passed away, I went to our, my parents' home. This is a picture of my parents' home on the right here. And you could see um, my parents' home, and you could see the front lawn. Okay, and you could see in the front lawn uh, the beautiful grass. That's all dead, right? And it's brown, and actually, there's not much grass there, okay? And this tree in the front, okay, this is actually a, a beautiful uh, Japanese maple tree, okay? Beautiful uh, maple leaves, little tiny little uh, leaves. It's, it's beautiful when, when it's in full bloom. What you see is actually dry leaves. And the, all these leaves are dead. And many of the branches were dead. And I came home to my parents' home. Uh, and, and in, in, in a, a sense, it was a little bit of an illustration to me um, of the care that was happening in the home for my father who is um, quite ill. And that which was outside that was uh, left uncared for. My brother uh, and I, you know, uh, every day, you know, we'd go to the home and kind of clean up things uh, because of my dad's passing. And I, every day I would look at this tree and I'm thinking, something has to be done about this tree. And my brother, he said, why care about this tree? This tree is dead. 
Okay. And I, but I, I, I really, really was uh, stunned by this tree. And, and so, you know, what I did was I, I trimmed it. I went up on a ladder and I grabbed, I filled up uh, uh, three, four wheelie bins. And the, these are not British wheelie bins. Okay? These are American wheelie bins, right? So they're massive wheelie bins. Three or four of these wheelie bins filled with branches that I cut from this tree and all the leaves and all the things on there so that it was left, so that it's just, um, you know, a branch, little branches, right? The tree was so dry that I found in some of the branches um, subterranean termites. They don't exist in this country. In California, subterranean termites are, are termites. They eat wood, but they eat dead wood. Okay, they're often found in houses because you have dead wood, you know, that's used to build your houses. But instead, the, the subterranean termites were eating through this tree. It was that dead. I, I trimmed it back, all the way back, and then um, I went back this past summer and looked at it, and it was flourishing. Every single day I would walk into the home, I would look, and I would just stand back and admire the, 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 the lush green leaves that were on that tree. I, I admired it so much that I forgot to take a picture, so there's no picture I could show you. But it was such a lush tree, and I showed Betty, I was, and I was just amazed by how beautiful this tree was. That life had come back to this tree that was seen to be so dead. And this, of course, connects to this passage of John 15. That in this passage of John 15, it is this cutting away of the dead growth that is an important step towards a plant's ability to flourish. Sometimes it is completely cutting off, amputating entire branches. And in other times, it's a pruning or a cleaning away of some of the less valuable parts. But ultimately, the goal of both is for the plant to really flourish. Of course, as an analogy, it, this does include this idea of God's judgment that may cut away completely those who are not alive within God. But there's also this idea of pruning. And I think that uh, it, it, this is a case for, for all of us, that all of us have accumulations of some dead growth that needs to be cleared away. I don't know about you, but, but for myself, I think in, in the past couple of years with the pandemic, um, for me, I think the pandemic has taken a toll in different ways. Um, and I've held on to, let's say, dry leaves and dry branches, worthless things. I think this pruning is, in, in some sense, this idea of sin, sinful behavior that needs to be pruned away. But it's also about the patterns of life which prevents growth of leaves, of branches, of fruit. All that hinders the flourishing. And so in this passage, we have um, Jesus who says to his disciples, he, he, he talks about how he is a true vine and his disciples are his branches. And he says in verse 4, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain 
in me. So here Jesus tells us, he asks us to remain in him as he remains in us. And by doing so, we are able to produce fruit. It's interesting here that he actually doesn't say that it is our responsibility to prune. If you ever, ever try to change something in yourself, a bad habit, let's say, it's actually quite a hard thing because it's a habit. It's something that's born into, that, that's uh, uh, trained into you. And so to untrain yourself of bad habits is quite a hard task. And actually, as we heard earlier on, the responsibility of pruning is that of God the Father, that he is the one that prunes. Our responsibility here is to remain connected to Christ. And in our remaining in Christ, the Holy Spirit reveals to us a dead growth that should no longer remain connected to us. God will take care of the pruning. So we are to remain, stay connected to him. And what results is the production of fruits. I think for most of us, this, this kind of makes sense. Okay? You, know, you cut away the bad stuff and then you know, there, there's more uh, nutrients and stuff like that that go to the rest of the plant and so forth. But what actually happens? Okay? And so this is a great question. And I started looking into this. What does this mean? I was looking at academic papers on what it means <laughs> to prune. <laughs> and I was looking at academic uh, papers, and this was one of the diagrams in one of the papers I was reading. Um, and, and this is actually of the pruning of a grape vine, which is quite appropriate in our case. Um, and you know, I just throw up this uh, illustration just, just to highlight a couple things. First of all, for evidently, I didn't know this, but evidently for... Um, Grapevines, there's certain seasons that branches grow and have leaves. And other seasons in which it, it grows, it, it, it's, it's dormant. So there's a dormant season and a grow, growing season. So as opposed to the grapes that we get, um, you know, in the supermarket, I, I'm amazed that we get supermarket grapes every, you know, mo most of the times of the year, right? They're coming from different parts of the world. They're not coming from the same plants. Because there are certain seasons, of course, that plants are, are producing fruits and other seasons when it's not. But secondly, there's this really massive root system. And it is this root system that gathers the water and the nutrients for the rest of the plant. And, and how, how is it that the water and the nutrients come from the roots to the rest of the plant? Well, great question you ask. Uh, because we have to look into the vascular system of the plant. You're thinking, what is he talking about now? <laughs> and, and this was actually, I was reading this, this article, and I was like, I remember this from biology. Have you ever done that? You know, read something, it's like, I remember this from my high school biology class. Phloem and xylem. Anybody know what phloem and xylem are? <laughs> oh, we have like biologists in this room and they don't know. <laughs> So, so, uh, so, so I was taught biology class, eighth grade, okay? No, not eighth grade, high school. Uh, it, it was my sophomore year in, in high school. I, I, I was taught flow low, xi high. That was what I was always taught, okay? Xylem, okay, right here. The xylem is what brings the water and nutrients from the roots to the rest of the plant. 
and the, oh, sorry, xi-hi. So this brings the water and the nutrients. Phloem allows things to flow downward. Downward from where? From the leaves. That the leaves, through photosynthesis, through the collection of light, produces sugars, produces food, and, and spreads the food around the rest of the plant. So this, these, this vascular system within the plant is the thing that helps the plant to produce fruits. And fruits are produced in different spots from where, of course, the roots and the leaves are. So the plant, here, here's the moral of the story, okay. The plants have to be well connected in order to produce good fruits. They have to be connected to the rest of the plant in order to produce fruits. Ultimately, the branches need to be, remain in the vine, and the vine remaining in the branches. And so, when we, when we read about Jesus saying, remain in me and I in you, he is talking about this connection, because it is through this connection that all the food, the nourishment, all the nutrients, the water, everything that, that helps for the plant to grow and to flourish is able to flow in the midst of uh, this plant. Now, if we go on in the passage, we have in, uh, uh, in two points in, in this uh, passage, Jesus talks about how it is not just about remaining in Christ, but remaining in his words. And here, there's, there's two, two descriptions of his words. The first is this idea of a purifying power. You are, in verse 3, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. The purifying power of his words. His words teach us God's truth. His words convict us and encourage us so that we may be clean before God. But secondly, as we see in verse 7, if you remain in me, my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. There's this idea in which, in which the words are the things that are helping us to be connected to Christ. They're the things that help us to nourish who we are. They have a nourishing power, whereas the first idea is this idea of this, this uh, cleansing power, this purifying power, the words also have a nourishing power because we are connected to him. His words can flow through us, almost like water, uh, the flow of water, nutrients, and plant, food in a, in a plant vascular system. But what are his words? Oftentimes when we hear this word, word in the Bible, we think the Bible. Okay? We think that... Um, you know, we, to remain in his words means that we have to be disciplined in reading the Bible each day. And I don't know about you, but I, I, statistically, in the, in the new year, many people, many Christians look for new Bible reading plans, right? To, to develop this habit of reading the Bible. I have a friend who creates a website specifically for Bible reading plans, and, and his, his uh, statistics on that website shot up just before the new year. There's so many people who are planning they're reading plans to read the Bible on a consistent basis, right? It's a New Year's resolution to read the Bible. 
And definitely this is a, a, a great aspiration and, and cornerstone in Christian spirituality. But, and I say this very carefully, but the words of Jesus are more than the Bible. It is a Bible, but it's more than the Bible. After all, the Bible does not encompass only his words, right? Only Christ's words. Actually, what we see, and we see this more clearly um, uh, when we compare verse 7 with verse 4, is that Jesus tells his disciples to remain in him, and he remains in them. In verse 7, he replaces his remaining with his words remaining. Okay? The, the, the whole idea here is that there's a parallel that the words are actually Jesus himself. What does that mean? The words are Jesus himself. It's this idea that in Jesus' words, he is present. His life is present. His way of living is present. So as we remain in Christ, Christ and his words remain in us. His life remains in us. His teachings remain in us. His Christ-like living remains in us, nourishing us, encouraging us, sustaining us, and challenging us. It's what, in the beginning of this gospel, gospel of John, uh, in the beginning was the word, word was with God, word was God, in the beginning was the word. This word is Christ, who becomes flesh, right? It is Christ is the word that becomes flesh. Theologians call this the incarnation, but we as Christians are to be that incarnation. We as Christians are to be his words made into flesh. We are to live out what it means to be Christ in this world. The words are his life and his way of living incarnated through us. And this connects to another idea here. Um, and in verse uh, uh, 7 in particular, um, it's, it's something that you don't really need, uh, you don't really see in, in, in uh, most English Bibles. Okay, And this is because the word you is both singular and plural in English. Okay? But in uh, verse 7, but actually throughout this, this passage, the you is almost always plural in this passage. Okay? And so you, you, you hear in, in, in verse 7, as an example, if you, the collective, you, the people, remain in me, and my words remain in you as a people, Ask whatever you all, all of you, wish, and it will be done for all of you. There's this idea in which what Jesus is saying of remaining in him is not about the individual. We are not individual branches left to our own devices. We are branches, a multiplicity of branches connected to the same vine. It is not as though we are asked to remain in Christ all by ourselves. We are not lone Christians. 
Our faith is not only ours alone to fight for and to hold on to. We are not in solitary confinement. We have each other. We have the church. And we are connected with one another. And this gives us even more meaning in this idea of remaining in Christ and us in Him. As we remain in Christ, we, in effect, remain connected not only to Christ, but to one another. We support one another in our remaining in Him. If you want to go back to this idea of the vascular system, of the xylem and the phloem, which I'm sure you all love now, um, but if we go back to this idea of the vascular system, when, if you think about it, when one branch, you know, you know like how trees grow, you know, sometimes branches cover other branches. And sometimes not all the leaves get equal amount of sunlight. You know, I don't know what I'm saying. And so, in effect, not all the branches are able to produce fruit by themselves because they're covered up. But what happens if we're all connected to one another is that when one is not able to produce the food for the fruiting, other branches are connected and are able to share the resources with one another. Hence, it's not only about individuals who are nourished by Jesus' words by themselves, it's also about the sharing of the nourishment with one another. So that others may be nourished by the same words that we are nourished by. And this is why, in this verse in particular, is this idea of asking whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is why this verse promises that we may ask whatever it is that we desire, we need, we yearn for, to seek and pray for God's goodness to be magnified, to be manifested, and it will indeed come true. Jesus promises here that as we live and act together as a connected community, we may bear many good fruits. We may be able to seek and yearn for many good things to come. And this, in, in, in a way, connects to uh, the church theme for this year, uh, which, if you weren't aware, the church theme for, for 2023 is uh, Fellowship Together in Christ. It is about how we together are to remain and encourage one another to remain in Christ. Now, this is an interesting phrase, um, and I, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I, I have a pet peeve, okay? And my pet peeve is this. I don't like the word fellowship. <laughs> and the reason why I don't like this word fellowship is I think that oftentimes Christians throw it around as a kind of a Christianese, a, a Christian term, right? As a cold word for hanging out, okay? And, you know, you, you might uh, go watch a movie and talk about having, how you had fellowship with one another, or maybe uh, pray for a meal and say, thank God for the fellowship, right? That, that's fine and all. Um, but I would suggest that the way that this word fellowship we find in the Bible is about the presence of God in the community. That Christian fellowship 
is about Christ's words being very present. It's about being attentive to God's Spirit and listening to the ways in which God wants us to encourage and to sustain one another to remain in Him. It may sometimes involve speaking, but it may also sometimes involve just being present with one another. Ultimately, it is purposefully seeking to take away that which hinders growth and encourages all that enables flourishing. Christian fellowship aspires to see the whole plant bearing good fruit. And this idea of Christian fellowship together is not just Christian fellowship of hanging out together, but Christian fellowship of coming together in Christ. Returning to our passage, in the, in the final verse, uh, uh, verse 8, it says, This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. In the end, the fruits are not mainly for us to enjoy. These fruits demonstrate our true connection to Christ as disciples and bringing glory to God, our Father. It is for God's glory. It is for Christ's name to be manifest that these fruits are to be sought after. So in this year, as we begin uh, uh, our, our year and um, the new year and also this uh, theme, but in, in, in our own lives, let us remain in Christ. Let us allow his words to remain in us, that he may be alive in our actions, in our words. That his words may dwell with us and may become flesh incarnated through us. In the end, our, our incarnational living, mirroring Christ's incarnational life, is one that is lived alongside others, producing fruits, testifying to Christ, and bringing glory to God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for all that you bless us with. That in all of our lives, we may know you. And that it's not simply of cognitive knowledge of knowing who you are. It is not simply of a belief and a confession of faith in you, but it is about how knowing you, how being connected to you transforms us. It is about how you 
back in us to stay connected with you, to stay connected to one another, that we may be nourished and we may be cleansed. I ask, Father, that you help us as we uh, uh, help us in, in, in this church, in this community, that we may be able to truly um, bring glory to your name. That we may that we may be disciples. That what it means to be a disciple changes who we are and makes us different in this world that does not know you. I ask, Father, that you help us. Uh, each of us as individuals, but each of us as part of a community to know you and to love you and to make yourself, make you known in our midst. And that we may live lives that bring honor to you. Give praise. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.